of God came in the room during worship, you know? It's so weird how that works. Like, worship is the moment where we begin to allow our affections touch Him, but it never ceases to amaze me. Every single time when we'll let genuine heart affection begin to touch the Lord, He'll begin to let His genuine heart affection be known to us. It's, see, worship isn't one-dimensional. It's two-dimensional, and it's, it's, it's conversational. Uh, it's the reason that the guys sometimes sing things that are not on the screen. Maybe you've never seen that before. You might think that's really weird. Actually, it's really normal. Like, if, it's, if there isn't some sort of a conversation happening in worship, we're encountering something, but it's probably not him. He, he's, he, he just loves to talk. We share our heart with him. He begins to share his heart with us. It's this call and response. So I, I just love that. That was, really, that was really terrific. If you want to, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Did I tell you that already? We're going to look at just, uh, we're going to look at five verses we're going to rip them right out of context. We're going to break every Bible rule known to preaching. Uh, let's, uh, let's just begin in verse 12. Uh, the unfortunate part is we're beginning right in the middle of an argument that Paul has going on here. And I strongly encourage everyone just go back and read that this week sometime. It's so good. So we go. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. And we're going to read to verse 17. That's what he says. He says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation... But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our own spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If, in, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Father, we ask that even now that your, um, that your, that your affectionate heart would just begin to be known in the room. God, the, the thing that you, that you began and the thing that you started in worship, uh, God, the the felt affection of your spirit that was just kind of like poured out in the room. God, we ask that right now that it would amplify in the room. God, I ask that those of us who, are, uh, who feel far away from you, God, I ask that even now, those, those of us who find, us, find ourselves in that position, that God, your affections for us would become near and they become felt. God, I ask that, that for those of us in the room right now who, uh, who are genuinely speaking intellectual and we get locked up in our brains, God, I ask that you would touch us this morning and it would be a felt experience. God, I ask that you, would, that you would pour out the love that is beyond knowledge and beyond human capacity to understand but can only be felt at the heart. Amen. Amen. Did you all hear the shout of joy that went up there at the end of the prayer? Uh, that, was, that, was the, that was the spirit just beginning to... I did real good. Yeah, what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about family. If that's all right with you guys. Because um, there's, a, there's a something that's, that's going on in our church right now in a, in a really healthy sort of way. Um, I, I think I said this about, I don't know, four or five months ago. It feels like, to me anyway, I hope it does to you, but it feels like um, 
feels like the atmosphere around here is completely pregnant. It, it feels like uh, we're at the very beginning of, a, of like, we're at the seminal stages of like a real move of the Spirit. Now, you know, this church has been here for 15 years. We've seen the Lord really do some tremendous things over those 15 years. There have been these ebbs and flows, these comings and goings of the Spirit. And it feels like the tide is coming back in. And it feels like we're at the very beginning of this really seminal moment of like another move of the Spirit around here. Like, um, it's just, I can't necessarily point to any one specific thing and go, yeah, that's proof of it. It's just that um, we've been singing the melody for years, but there's harmony around the melody, if that makes sense. That's the only way I can describe it. There's, there's deeper layers of harmony that surround the melody that we've been singing with the Lord for, for years. There's just this, uh, there's this sense. And, and, and really my sense of it, especially in the last four or five weeks, is that, um, is that more and more the reality of family is becoming established here among us. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I certainly did. Uh, how many of you were here last week and it felt like family? It was like church, but it was like, wasn't really like church, it was more like family. Yes, can I tell you something? You can't, you can't fake that. You can't even make it happen. It just—it's this organic move of the spirit, and um, and one of the things I wanted to get into this morning was, uh, I, I just want us to, to to understand this, like the vineyard. It doesn't seem like family. It actually is family, and to the extent that it seems like family, is the extent to which we're, our hearts are just beginning to awaken to the reality that actually exists. See, one of the things about the whole kingdom of heaven thing is this, is that God loves family. He, he, he is so crazy about family um, in the most generic sense and in the most specific sense. Um, a lot of us in the room don't like our families. And that's a problem. Because God's crazy about family. You know, you may have like a nagging mother and a know-it-all dad and a brother who's the king of one-ups, you know who will never let you win, you know? And, and you may have a really self-absorbed sister who only cares about shopping and will never talk to you about anything else. And it may drive you absolutely nuts. But one of the things I know about every single person in the room is this. All of us have an ache in our heart for family. Even if you hate your own family. It's so crazy. Every single person in the room and every person that you're ever going to meet anywhere has an ache in their heart for family, whether they have a great relationship with their actual natural-born family or not, everyone is looking for that connection. They're looking for a connection that's beyond community. You understand that when uh, we have a value around here, it's for community. But the, the issue with community is this, is that we can, we can only have community to the extent that we agree, you know? God wants to do something beyond that. He wants to do something that's based upon family. Uh, it, the only person that can remove a person from family is that person. And even when they run away, they don't cease to be a part of the family. You can never really remove yourself from family. God, God is crazy about family. One of the things that he over and over in the scriptures does is he, he reveals himself through family and he, and he intends to accomplish his mission in the earth through family. It's, it's really bizarre. Genesis chapter 1, Adam and Eve. First man, first woman. He begins to bring mission to them. And he, it's really interesting to me that when God begins to first um, uh, work his call into the earth, when God begins to first see his kingdom come into the earth, that the container that he chooses to place that, that mission and that call into 
is a family container, man and woman. And he looks at Adam and Eve, and he says, I want you guys to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to subdue the earth and rule it. See, ruling the earth, kingdom from heaven to earth, kingdom culture is meant to be encapsulated in family. It's best expressed in family. God doesn't start, stop just with Adam and Eve, but he goes on. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, he, he comes to Abraham, and Abraham's living with his mom and dad and his wife and some sheep and some goats, mostly goats. Um, he was a goat herder from Ur. I, I don't know why that's funny to me, but I think it is. You realize that the Bible isn't an exhaustive collection of everything that God has ever done in the earth. You all realize that? So anything that gets put in is important. Goat herder from Ur. Yeah. Abraham, goat herder from Ur. The call of God comes to him. And God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And I'm going to make your descendants like the sands on the shore. Like the stars in the sky. Absolutely uncountable. And to that extent, one of the things we see again is that God wants to do something through family. And by way of doing something through family, he wants to establish greater expression of family. Do we see that? Y'all remember Samuel? The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 1, we've got this really, another strange guy. His name is Elkanah. Say Elkanah. Yeah, weird. If we have another kid, we're naming him Elkanah. Mike, Andrea, you might want to consider that. Um... Elkanah and Hannah, and they, and they couldn't have a kid. And she, Hannah is completely destroyed by the fact that she can't have a kid. Why? Because so much of what God does is comes through family. It's really important. So she cries out, and the Lord touches her womb. And she says to the, to the Lord, you know, you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. The son she has ends up being Samuel, the prophet, whose words never fall to the ground. You know, God has this thing. He, he, he wants to work through family. He's always expressing he wants to partner with people, and then the container that he wants to put his call inside of happens to be family. He's wanting to do something um, that's, really, that's really deep. Family is a step or two beyond community because you can't get out of it. Here's another thing about family. How many of you have realized this, that, like, that, especially when it comes to this thing of you can't get out of it? Like, even if you don't like your family, you can't get out of it. It's your dad, bottom line, you know? How many of you have ever seen this, like, on TV or something? Like, when a person has done something truly horrible, like, even, even up to murder, like a son has gone out and murdered someone else in cold blood, a father will go and sit next to his son. Why? Because you can't get out. It's, it's beyond community. It's beyond just what we agree with or, or don't agree with. When it's your son, even if your son does something truly horrible, You'll stand with him because he's your son, right? I think that's what God's doing. He's, he's moving us, at least at this, at this body, he's moving us into the reality of family. See, family's been sown into the DNA of humanity. Uh, it's the ground-in grass stain that just won't come out. And it's, I like that. I, I wrote it down. I was like, I was thinking about that on the way home yesterday. I'm like, I was thinking about Seth's, the knees of all of his pants. They're all green. You can't get it out. You know, and here's the thing. The, the reason that family means something to every single person in here is because it means something to God. 
Like even pagans have a reverence for family, you know? Even people who are completely far away from God have a reverence for it. It's because it's in his heart. It wasn't because, you know, you and I are morally superior or have figured out a good way to live life. It isn't, an, it isn't just an evolutionary advantage. It's in the heart of God. And because it's in the heart of God, it's one of those things that got transmitted to you and I. It's in our heart. Without family, there's a hole there. It aches, you know? And it's one of the things that God's doing here. He's beginning to weave this really strange collection of people. Yeah. Agreed. I, I live with a lot of you. Yeah, he's beginning to weave this really strange group of people in the room right now into something more than a community. He's weaving us into family. I'll tell you one funny story from last night. Our family. Our family's really crazy. You should come have dinner with us. You'll figure that out real quick. Uh, we, we, had, we had dinner last night with a, a winemaker consultant because we're going to make a lot of wine this year and we really don't know what we're doing, so we hired a consultant. And he came down with his fiance to hang out with us. He was with us for about two hours. We blew his doors. That man will never be the same. He was trying to keep it professional. Our family resists all forms of professionalism. There were topics of conversation that man never dreamed he would hear. Yeah. I love that. It's really great. God's doing something, and he's doing something like right in here. Yeah, the things that are most important to God appear, appear instinctively to us. You know? It's the reason that this, uh, this sense of family is such a big deal. It's the reason that, that people will come and hang out with us here at the vineyard. You know, the only reason that you'd come and hang out with a weird group of people like us is because you're dying for family. Like, you'd risk your reputation to come hang out with us. It's okay, you can laugh, it's true. Yeah. Like when you put your hand on the back door, you're, you're taking a risk with your reputation every time. People will make that risk because they need, they, they need what's beginning to grow here. It's family. <clears throat> So God's plan is always to work through people in general. And then more often than not, he chooses to work through families. He chooses to work through families to create bigger families. This is how the kingdom expands, by the way. But it isn't just so that we can have um, a greater sense of connectivity to one another. He's actually working to build a family to himself. This is, this is where it gets a lot more personal. He, he's not he's not looking just to connect uh, to connect us in such a way that me and Heather are uh, at a more deep level connected to Bobby and Anna Ryan and ha- uh, Ryan and what's your name Holly <laughs> all of that's good I welcome it but one of the things he's also doing at the same time is he's beginning to connect us to himself it's not just the God who's a million miles away it's it's my father 
You know, Jesus wasn't joking around when he said Father. He really, really meant it. Um, and it's this expanding revelation of who God is throughout the Scriptures. How many of you realize that at the beginning of Scripture, beginning in Genesis, God was not known as Father? You can count on, the, on your hands the number of times that, that Father is connected to God in the Old Testament. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, there's this, expand, there's this expansion of the revelation of who God is. Over and over again, Jesus always talks about God as being his personal Father. See, God's wanting to do something among us. He's wanting to connect us at a level that's beyond community, but he's also wanting to connect us to him. It's not just the great God in heaven who can do anything and who probably doesn't see me. And even if he sees me, he's disinterested in me. It's the great God of heaven who is my father. And and because he is my father, he's my provider. See, here's the deal. You can't be a a father unless you're a provider, not a real one. See, fathers provide. Fathers protect. Fathers, fathers give identity. He's, he's not just the fa- father and he's not just the God in heaven who's a million miles away and who's generally disinterested in me. He's the God in heaven who is my father, who provides for all my needs, who protects me from all my enemies, and who gives me the kind of start that allows me to finish in something that's much bigger than I ever dreamed of. I get to join with him. That's the reason I love this scripture we're looking at this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Paul says, Therefore, brothers, and I want you to notice right there that we're already into family language. Paul says, Therefore, brothers. There's this thing. It's all over the New Testament. Uh, there are all kinds of metaphors used for what the church is in the New Testament. The household family metaphor is the most common one because it's something that is most essential in the revelation of the Spirit that God is pouring out. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. And if you have a pen, I want you to underline that word obligation right there. We'll come back to that. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Stop right there. Why will you die if you live according to the sinful nature? This really isn't a part of my message. I just want to clear this up because... So many of us are religious minded. The reason you'll die if you live according to the sinful nature isn't because God is pissed. See, a lot of us think that God's really angry and when we sin, we think God is sitting on his throne and he gets so excited and he just smacks the sinner and he gets great joy out of it. Really, isn't that the way most of us have grown up? We're aware of our sin and we're totally convinced that we're sinners and we're, we're, we really feel like when we screw up, God smacks us and not only does he smack us, but he enjoys it, you know? Sin makes him mad and when he gets to smack us, that's the only thing that makes him happy. And then we can go. That's really not who he is at all. The reason that you'll die if you live according to the sinful nature is really simple. It's because, it's because sin has nothing to do with the good kind of life. That's why. There is a good kind of life, and it's the kind of life that God has designed. And anytime we step outside of that good kind of life that God has designed, it brings death into our life. We always invite something else into it. In fact, every time we invite that death into our life, it breaks his heart. And so any judgment that we receive from God 
really judgment is in, in many ways is a poisoned word to our minds it's not even judgment it's actually the protection of the father to keep us from the kind of lifestyle that will eventually kill us god doesn't like hitting anyone it breaks his heart by the way this is the other thing i want you to understand about who the lord is and his nature he didn't at the beginning of time develop a system of life that he knew would be hard so that he could get enjoyment out of our failure see that's another thing we think that he is we think that he's god says well don't have sex outside of marriage and we think that the reason that he said that is because he he knew that it would instinctively torture us and then he would get great pleasure out of smacking tortured people no god says don't have sex outside of marriage because the only appropriate container for something as precious as sexual contact is commitment of marriage anything outside of that will kill you some of you know what i'm talking about firsthand so it's it's his good and gracious heart but he says therefore we have an obligation but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it if you live according to that you'll die but if you live by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live because those who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god see here's the big here's the big deal and the reason i wanted you to underline that word obligation because when we live when we live according to the sinful nature we we live obligated to that realm but this is what happened because god knew that that realm because god knew that the sinful nature is is the not good life that will kill you he sent his son romans 5 8 says that god demonstrates his love for us in this that even while we were still sinners christ died for us so even before you had a chance to do anything good or anything bad god has already voted in your favor he's really incredibly good that is actually a pretty good word i can't (laughs) i can't remember it but god is even before you're even before you had a chance to do anything good or bad god's already voted in your favor because he's incredibly kind and generous to you and in doing so god ends up sending his son to die for people who would ultimately end up rebelling against him that he might redeem them back the bible uses this word redeem you know what redeem means redeem means paid for so even though you ran away even though i ran away god sends his son and he sends him as not just not just as a peace offering but he sends him as payment for everything that you and i have done to offend him and to live the not good life this is why that word obligation comes in if god has paid for you and i you would think that we'd be obligated to him right if god has paid for you and i he owns us right he can use us any way he wants right if god owns me if he wants to he can send me out and he can make me dig ditches for him right if god owns me then i'm obligated to go and do the dirty work for him right if god owns me then he's obligated if he likes to to extract life from me to use me for everything he can get but is that what god does it's really crazy all of us in the room were at one time slaves to sin but god has redeemed us he has he has paid for us and our natural mind would think now i've gone from being a slave to sin and now i'm god's slave except that's not at all what he had in mind 
He didn't want any slaves. He wants sons and daughters. And so even though, even though he can say, I would like to extract life from you because I paid for you, I want to get something good from you, he says, I will not do that. I will give life to you. This is really good. He is so committed to family that he's willing to pay for something and not receive life from it, but give life to it. That's the essence of family. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. One of my favorite little passages I found in the scripture this week is in Exodus chapter 4. God tells Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. You need to go read this. It's in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23 and 24. It is a brilliant picture of God's mind and his heart toward his people. He says, Moses, go to Pharaoh, and you, this is what I want you to tell Pharaoh. You tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son. God is always, always, always looking for family. He's always, always, always looking to make a greater family between us and make a greater family of us to him. He says, you tell Pharaoh to let Israel, my firstborn son, to go. At that time, Israel were slaves to Egypt. God is always about taking slaves and turning them into sons and daughters. He's never, God is never about extracting life from you. He's always about being generous in spirit toward you and giving life freely. More than you can even handle. Even though we were slaves to sin... God bought us back, and he had an opportunity to make us slaves to him, but he adopted us as sons. The God who gave all, who paid all, and who was completely over all, has absolutely refused to be the owner. God will settle for nothing less than Father. He's building family. trouble is a lot of us are sons a lot of us are daughters but we but we live like slaves i do this all the time there are mindsets that come along with a slave lifestyle there are mindsets that give way to lifestyle actions and they all of those mindsets and all of those lifestyle actions militate against the family of god they militate against me being able to feel like god is my father They militate against me being able to feel his affections. They militate against me being able to relate to you as my brother and you as my sister. All of these mindsets and lifestyle turn you into my competition. And him into the owner. We begin to operate out of a performance life. See, slaves are subjects and the strength of life is extracted from them. See, a lot of us feel like that we're subjects to God and that he's extracting life out of us. If that's the way you feel, then we, then we have a slave mindset. But the truth is we're sons and we've been given lives. Good, given life. Slaves are property. Slaves are property, like a tractor or a wagon or a couch. And because they're property, their value is determined by their usefulness. And when something quits being useful, 
then it loses its value. See, some of us feel like that for God. God comes around and we look for something to do. You know? God comes around and we're like, I got to be a good tractor. Because if, if I'm not a good tractor, he's going to kick me off the farm. But the truth is, he's made us sons and, you're, and he's made us daughters. And the truth of the matter is, is that your value is that you carry heaven's DNA on the inside. Like, even if you're an entirely broken person who has no useful quality, God says, I value you. Come into my house. Don't run off on my farm. You're not a wagon. You're not a tractor. You're a son. You're not a couch. See, when we live like slaves, we live ashamed of all of our weaknesses. Because weakness equals lack of value. When we live like slaves, we try to cover up our weaknesses, which only perpetuates keeping those weaknesses. Sons and daughters are valuable simply because of who they are, the DNA they carry. See, even right now, whether you feel like it or not, heaven's DNA resides on the inside of you. And if heaven's DNA resides on the inside of you, then anything's possible. See, every, everybody in here is called to live the anything's possible life. Slave work for their master's vision, and they always, always live beneath their masters, and they never receive glory. But sons work alongside their father, and they're a part of the vision. They make decisions, and sons live from eternal abundance. It's totally different. See, slaves work for the slaves work for what they can never have, and sons work from what they already have. See, some of us are working so hard for what we can never have. That's a slave mindset. Sons work from what they already have. It's a really big deal in Jesus' family. And the highest dream of a slave is freedom. The highest dream of a slave is freedom. And to the extent that a slave cannot have freedom, they begin to settle for smaller and smaller dreams. The life of a slave is, is a lifestyle of settling for smaller and smaller dreams. At the beginning, a slave dreams of freedom. When freedom doesn't come, Pretty soon, the slave is dreaming of a good day. Pretty soon, the slave is, is dreaming of a day that it doesn't rain. Pretty soon, a slave is dreaming of a day off. Pretty soon, a slave is dreaming of a new tool that won't hurt my hands. Pretty soon, a slave is dreaming of nothing. Pretty soon, a slave is thinking about survival. See, a slave mindset and a slave heart is an ever-increasing, smaller circle of vision. Sons work from freedom. The highest goal of a slave is freedom. Sons and daughters work from freedom, and their dreams get bigger and bigger and bigger. See, you'll, you'll know that you've come into the kingdom of heaven, and you'll know that, you, that you've come into God's family, and you'll know that you're, you've been woven in eternally, when you begin to dream of bigger and bigger things. 
Like, here's the thing. Like, as a son and a daughter, if, if the trip in is ultimate freedom, like, what are you going to do with ultimate freedom? I mean, that's really the kingdom heart. Like, it's beginning to come alive here. It's like, what are you going to do if anything's possible? What are you going to do if you can't be oppressed? You know, I mean, come on. Like, what are you going to do if you're really not an oppressed, hated, stolen from, survivalistic animal of a person? What if, what if, what if the door is wide open? Then you begin to dream. When you begin to dream, you come into contact with God who is the first dreamer. You guys realize that in Genesis chapter 1, God spoke things into being. He just said, light, light happened. How many of you realize that you don't speak things that weren't first a dream in your heart? See, God's the first dreamer. And so when we begin to work from freedom, we begin to, we begin to work from a place that gives ourselves permission to dream. When we begin to dream, we begin to fall in line with God's kinds of thoughts. See, God's kinds of thoughts are always dreaming thoughts. See, one of the things that needs to happen at the vineyard is we need to become, in some ways, I don't know how to say this any other way. This is going to, I, I got to say it. Can I say, can I have, any, do I have permission to say something extreme? I need to say it extreme to make my point. See, one of the things that needs to happen around here is we need to become way less practical and become way more impossible. Because that's where dreams live. One of the things I want to tell you is everybody in the room has permission to think of something new. Slavery is survival. Oh, man, I'm just, dude, I'm just hoping for a job, you know. Dr. Ray and I, we run into this every single year. Right around January, right around the new year, we'll ask people, hey, what are your goals for the new year? 75% of people, maybe 80%, look at me and go, I don't have any goals. I'm like, well, like, okay, just make one up now. And most people will respond, I just want to survive. You know? Like, survival is not a part of a son's DNA. Because a father, one of the first jobs of a father is to provide. So survival is not even on the table. You know? My number one job as a father in my family is to go out and secure provision for my family. It's my, I, you know, I go out and I secure provision for my family. That's what I do. God has already promised us as sons and daughters that he will provide for us. So if provision isn't an issue, see, and, and so many of us have, have this, this is what's stopping us right there, is the first thing that a father wants to do is provide. So many of us stop living in dreams, stop even having dreams. We disallow ourselves to go there because of provision issues. So if God has already promised to provide for you, what are you going to dream about?
this is a really big deal because there's we've talked about this before there's momentum in the generations I hope this makes sense but there's momentum through generations God is way more um, God is way more at work through generations than he is in even singular moments okay now here at the vineyard because we have a uh, we have a heart bent toward um, seeing the kingdom come to earth like right now okay but that's and that's the way we're going to live because we live with expectation I think it's really important uh, and because of that so uh, a lot of times we'll pray for the sick like if you're sick here today uh, there's not a Sunday that goes by that we don't invite sick people to come up and get prayer because we've seen brain tumors dissolve we've seen deaf ears open uh, we've seen people who couldn't use their leg get their legs to going again we've seen it it's the instantaneous but the thing I want to sh- share with you I don't have time to go into this at, at length but uh, God is way more at work through the generations than even in the singular moments okay and because of that there's momentum through the generations things grow exponentially through one generation to another both for good and for bad some of you all had an alcoholic dad who beat you up you know why you had an alcoholic dad who beat you up because he had an alcoholic dad who beat him up and your dad probably beat you up more than he got beat up why because there's an exponential momentum through the generations that was a bad example what about good happens all the time uh, in fact, we'll take a little history lesson. Uh, y'all remember John F. Kennedy, right? John F. Kennedy was a great American. You know why John F. Kennedy was a great American? Because his father was a great American. And his father's father was a great businessman. It's, it's incredible. I just was reading again this week. John F. Kennedy's grandfather was a businessman and was extremely successful. John Kennedy's father was a businessman who got into politics. See this expansion? expansion? He, he, John F. Kennedy's father was a businessman who got into politics, and he was the first person to sit as chairman of the SEC. Like, it wasn't even there. Like, he, he, was, he was right there with the president creating new branches of government. And then by the time John F. Kennedy is born and, is grown, and he grows up in this, in this environment of anything's possible, in areas of business and politics, and then he ends up becoming president. How does that happen? You know? It's also one of the reasons I think the Kennedy family has been so um, uh, opposed, not just in the natural world, but it's actually opposition in the spirit world because there's momentum through the generations. We could talk more about that, but there's no need. I think you guys get the point. God's building family, and there's momentum through the generations. So we no longer have to be slaves to fear. We no longer have to look at God and be afraid. We no longer have to be afraid to join Him in the kingdom task. We can live with confidence. Everybody in the room has been bought back as a son and a daughter, not as a slave. Just like Hosea bought Gomer back. Y'all remember that story in the Old Testament? It's really an unbelievable story. There's this prophet, his name is Hosea. God says, Hosea, go and buy yourself a prostitute and make you your wife. So he does. 
and she lives with him for a while until she gets tired of that and she runs out on him and she begins to prostitute herself in the street and it's actually a prophetic word for the whole country and then after a certain period of time passes God says this is what I want you to do Hosea I want you to go buy her back again and bring her in as your wife it's really powerful it's the way the Lord treats us he bought us back as sons and daughters just like Hosea bought Gomer not as his personal prostitute but as his wife because he's there's, there's, there's momentum the Lord's wanting to build something For everybody sitting in the room this morning, God's intention is is really simple. He wants to bring his kingdom rule through his family. God shares his heart with sons and daughters. Every father shares their heart with sons and daughters. Masters don't tell their slaves anything other than today's task. The men who work for Justin and I, all they know is what they need to do today. That's all they know, and that's fine. But my sons and my daughters, they know my heart. They know my plans. They know the intentions of my life. And God wants to extend kingdom rule. He wants to bring heaven to earth through his family. It's the reason that God began to build it in Adam and Eve in that way. That the perfect container for his kingdom rule is family. The other, one, other thing I want to say about God's family is this. It's, God wants to build a family not just so that we can feel cozy. You know? God wants to build a family that's more than feeling cozy. He wants to build a family that is inextricably linked to his mission in the earth. He wants to, he wants to work it through. He wants to work through sons and daughters. Now I want to share my heart a little bit with you um, about our church and about what I feel like the Lord is. Uh, he's growing something here, and um, it's slightly different than some other things. And even now, we get to we get to choose to just begin to sing harmony with the melody that I think He's singing over our church right now. I I really do feel like the Lord is is singing a family melody over our church, and I think we've begun to to sing the harmony notes along with Him. And it's a really big deal because uh, for the last probably 35 years, as the Spirit has begun to move in certain areas or in, in certain churches or in certain ministries, one of, one of the outgrowths of the move of God, at least in the church in America and really the church all over the world in the last 30 years, if things get a little bit of momentum, one of the first things that will pop up in a ministry or in a church is, um, is a school of ministry. Have you guys noticed that? And... And uh, those have been really successful. In fact, Heather and I wouldn't even be who we are today if it wasn't for the fact that we went and spent some time at a practical school of ministry where we just learned how to do the stuff. Now, here's the reason that schools of ministry uh, grew up. Uh, Schools of ministry grew up because the church deserted her first call and mission to make disciples. So, So we have thousands of churches where the only message every single Sunday is get saved but no one knows what to do after they get saved. That was always my thing. Growing up, I'm like, okay, I'm saved. What's next? It's like, get born again. Well, yeah, I did that. What's next? And so one of the things that happened 
around the move of God was there began to be schools of ministry. And they were necessary because we had thousands of people who had gotten saved and were saying, what's next? And so there needed to be a, a way to train and release disciples. The, the church had really divorced herself from her first call and mission. That's been going on for the last 25 or 30 years. And it's going to continue to go on at a certain level. I just want to share my heart with you. The Lord's doing something here. And I think we're just at the seminal stages of it. Um, And I just want to be the first guy to tell you, I don't want a school of ministry. It could happen. I know how to build it. It would make our church huge. We could have people come from all over. I I could even get rich out of it. I know how to get rich out of it. I can make a lot of money. I don't want a school of ministry. And I'm not even beating up schools of ministry. I actually think they're good. But I think they were the precursor to what the Lord wants to do now. The Lord would rather have fathers and mothers than teachers. He would way rather have fathers and mothers than teachers. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you have 10,000 guardians. 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. I feel like the Lord is bringing up, he's raising up fathers and mothers. Here's the thing about fathers and mothers. We have some around the house here. God's going to, he's going to bring us some more and then some others are right now are beginning to emerge. Um, this, is, this is the thing about the difference between um, school of ministry and family of God. Family of God is way less sexy. The lights don't glow so bright. One of the things that God's doing even now is he's beginning to, and some of you guys are aware of this, he's beginning to anoint certain people in our midst to be a father and a mother and to, and to take disciples under their wings, sometimes two, sometimes three, four at a time, and say, come and share life with me at my house. You want to know how to do ministry? Just come and live life with me. I'm folding clothes. You come over and sit on the couch. You fold clothes with me, and I'll tell you, I'll teach you how to do ministry. I think it's one of the things that God's going to grow up. I also feel like, I also feel like at some point uh, here at the vineyard, we may have some sort of a, a school of ministry, but I have a feeling it's going to be really, really strange. Really strange. Because I know that one of the things that God is speaking over our house right now is the word family, and he's speaking fathers and mothers. See, the trouble with students and teachers is, is one of the things I've seen in the last 25 years is so many people... Uh, become perpetual learners but never doers. God wants to raise up sons, sons of his right hand. And in the kingdom of heaven, you never, ever learn in any other way except that, go in, except that you go and do. I feel like we're just at the beginning stages of God doing something really, really messy around here. I just had this sense on the inside that it's about to get really complicated. And I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, you know, when when you first get married, your life gets complicated. Okay, Richard, I'm preaching to you now. 
You open the door. Yeah, when you were single, like some of you, some of you guys who are single, you think your life's complicated. You don't know what complicated is. Get married. And that first year of marriage, you'll think life cannot be more complicated than this. And then you get your wife pregnant. And the baby comes. And the process of birthing a baby is it's just an absolute mess. It's a miracle. It's an absolute mess. That's what's happening right here. That's, that's what's about to happen right here. There's about to be an absolute mess in the house. Not only that, but once you get the baby in your home, it's way messier than it was at the hospital. Because the baby's pooping in every diaper. And you can't find enough trash cans to throw those things away in. And even when you throw them all away, your house still smells like popcorn. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Then about the time you get that under control, you have another one. And two kids... See, the second kid isn't just more complicated than the first one. It's exponentially more complicated. It's like you had ten all at once. You know? Yeah, that's what, I feel like that's what the Lord's doing around here right now. I, I, I feel like we're, we're just in this place of His heart where, where we're feeling more and more together this way. And we're about to feel more and more together with Him this way. And one of the things that's going to grow out of it is uh, there's going to be an anointing on, on motherhood and fatherhood, not just in the ability to make natural babies, but in the ability to make spiritual sons and daughters, to take people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His ever-increasing light. Not only that, but to show, the, show people how to dream and how to thrive. I think it's one of the callings on our life. And, and there, are just, there are certain aspects of being able to walk in dreams and to walk out calling that can never be taught in a lecture. You, you just, it can't be lectured, it has to be lived, you know? And I think that's what's happening right now. You know, and for us, I think this is just a moment for us to say, God, I'm just yours, you know? And I won't reject the fathers and the mothers that you put around me, you know? Amen? Amen. I feel like I have more to say, but we'll just catch it some other day. Yeah. Yeah, if you're on the ministry team, why don't you come on up? Everyone say hello to the ministry team. That was 